You're listening to Limitless Leaders Podcast. Accelerate your mindset, collaboration and performance by developing limitless self-leadership, leaders, teams and organizations. Now, over to your host, Renee Jerusso. Hi, and welcome to the Limitless Leaders Podcast. If you're listening for the first time, welcome and welcome back if you're a regular listener. As always, we love your feedback, your reviews, and any topics you'd like us to cover. And you can contact us directly on podcast at reneegerusso.com. Today, I have the amazing Zamil Chaudhry, and I'm really, really looking forward to, to spending the next sort of 45 minutes speaking to Zamil about his amazing story and the lessons he's learned through the life that he's lived. Zamil is a man of the people. And with over 25 years experience in technology, helping companies and organisations, he's worked with them to transform their business and his passion is all about being part of the positive impact that technology has on the lives of people and the communities in which we live in. He's been fortunate enough to work in collaboration with some of the world's brightest minds to cultivate and implement digital transformation strategies for global organisations to cope with disruption and provide an exceptional customer experience. His passion is working with young people around mental health and Samil provides mentorship through his experience, his strength and his hope. And his, his mantra is to be in service to others in life and he's also a loving father. So welcome, Zamil. Thank you. How, how are you? I'm well. Just hopefully at the end of COVID, in, in we're luckily enough to be the end of COVID in Australia, and the restrictions are starting to lift in Melbourne. So, which is great. Along to the new, the new norm is in place. Yes, yes, and I'm calling that the next norm because I think there'll be another one and another one, and I think it's forever evolving. Which, you know, so much change and so many much exciting innovation and lessons have been learned in this time. Would you agree? I do. I think it's been a wonderful opportunity for the world to look at things in a different way. Yeah, definitely. Specifically around technology. Companies have to look at everything. I think they have to look at their assets. Why would you have assets? Why would you have people driving to work? Why mm. would you have people, families, where if you're not a, a manual labourer or a worker or somebody that needs to be somewhere doing something, um, the opportunity to work at home um, and to use technology to, to enable that, absolutely. Oh, totally. And, and we know productivity increases at an astonishing rate working remotely because, like you said, you don't have the commute, especially in leadership positions, you don't have those interruptions and distractions and less office politics. And I think, too, you know, connection and collaboration can be stifled, but, but I've seen over the last few months people are almost over-connecting but in a good way, and there's so much good coming from it. So to introduce you to our listeners, you have an amazing story, and I'd love to ask you, you know, how did you become you? Wow, that's such a huge question, but um, it really starts with um, my upbringing and my parents. My father is from Bangladesh and is a Muslim, and my mother is uh, English Irish and from England and they met in England and she's Christian and uh, we were I was born and bred in Birmingham and we had a cafe an Irish cafe mm. a separate 
fake fur shop and um, our cafe was a hub for the local community and the community in Birmingham at that time was um, working class, big steel industry. And so I was really brought into this sort of bohemian, um, eclectic, mm. working class uh, of the people Tiberia. My mom and dad were both pillars of the community because at that time it was the first time that uh, the blacks, whites, uh, Asians were all getting together and coming together as a community. Yeah. And yeah. my mom and dad, you know, being a, a mixed race, which wasn't really seen, there's lots of racism around back then, um, were very, very stoic in their belief around doing the right thing by people mm. and, and, and also supporting the community in a way that... Um, my dad had a great saying, which was um, quite rudimental. He couldn't speak English when he first came, you know, learnt everything when he got here. And he, he had a saying, look, if you've got a problem, I've got a problem. If you've got no problem, I've got no problem. I love that. Yeah. And so through that and through being born into this, you know, into this space, community came naturally. And what you did with inside of community came naturally. Mm. And how you people and how people helped each other no matter what that was so that that was amazing um so i was able to talk to everybody at that at that stage and interact with 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 everybody and um so i really sounds like it was a really inclusive culture yeah yeah and it didn't matter whether you were black white yellow green man woman you were treated mm. you know the the, the the sort of values were about equality yeah you know, it didn't yeah. matter whether you you were disabled, uh, what gender you were, um, and, and and again, you know, being um, yeah, just being different was celebrated as well. Yeah, I love that. Accepted into that. Mm. And, um, yeah, that was that was really the the foundations to you know that acceptance around people, you know, and um, yeah. I love that, and that we are all different. You know, I've always. I've always had a saying, people of colours be a rainbow, you know, and you just, you know, you just got a bit of the Wizard of Oz background happening there. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, no one is you and no one should be you and the diversity is what's magical, you know, as a human race when it's appreciated. So I'd love to talk to you today and we, we did have a little bit of a chat. So I've been working on my book, The Gift Mindset, which is about taking challenges and also successes and having that deep self-awareness of how you felt and what happened, etc., and then accepted that to help you, not hinder you, and have lessons to share with the world through that. And you've, you've had some amazing things that, that have happened to you as far as what it's given you and enriched you as a person. Are you happy to sort of talk through those and, and a bit about what we talked about, the gift of forgiveness? You know, I, I came to Australia sort of 20 years ago and, um, you know, prior to that was living in, in England and um, fell into working in IT. And I say fell into it, you know, it was literally just a, my mother was working in an IT company and said uh, I was 19 years of age and prior to that my whole life was focused around being a, being a soccer player. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that didn't work out. And then I was running nightclubs. And then my mum my said, oh, look, you know, you really liked 
always been interested in IT and I used to write programs for keyboards when I was like eight and nine years of age. This was back in the 80s. And um, I said, yeah. So all of a sudden I started in an organization um, as an assistant to a sales director and quickly worked more my, my way through from, from sales support to sales, to sales management, to mm. sales leadership and, and taking all organizations to, you know, uh, this one particular one, 100 million to, to, to 300 million to it becoming the largest privately owned wow. item in the UK. And we was in integral parts of that. And it was, a, yeah. it was a good time. I met my ex-wife there. She was my boss. And then um, we were together seven years and we had, uh, you know, house, uh, two German cars in the driveway. We had the, the full picture. We just, we were just burnt out. So we decided yeah. to go traveling around the world. And so going traveling around the world really opened our eyes and our, to, to, to a number of different cultures and different ways of life. Mm. Buddhism was introduced, you know, India was, a, was, was quite profound to us and seeing the poverty on the streets and, and how they coped, you know, how, how they could still have nothing but still be happy. Oh, amazing. Yeah, no material assets, but they're grateful for their life. Yeah, and, you know, and some great <laughs> insights came from that. And so I came back to the UK, got back into that corporate world again, and then, you know, said, look, this can't be all there is to, to life. Uh, no. And decided to come to Australia and um, came to Australia. We'd, uh, I got married in Vegas. Uh, we'd got married together like, <laughs> yeah, like 10 years and it was, it was awesome. But we were married one year, got to, got to Australia and then we separated and we're still best mates. That's great, right. uh, yeah. Yeah, still best mates. She worked in IT. So, you know, our lives, we stayed in Melbourne, we stayed in Australia and um, I built my community here and worked yeah. in IT again for another IT company. And it was at enterprise level. So working with lots of people across lots of different disciplines, lots of different um, organizations. Mm -hmm. And then just built this like community around me like I'd been exposed to as a, as a child. And wow. that's what I, I'd sort of continued. So mm -hmm. it was really easy for me to, when I had a conversation with you, my goal was always to find out um, how I could help you. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So that was always at the at the, at the mm. of what I did. So I then I, I coached soccer. Yeah. So in coaching soccer, I got to know so many people. So that led to people that were they I was training their kids were um, you know, happened to be CEOs and yeah. happened to be all sorts of people in my organizations. And I just kept on building this network of mm. goodwill of this whole thing, you know. So it was about, um, I don't know, 10 years later, 10 years after sort of that, 10 years of being in the country, I'd sort of met my, my, uh, my ex-partner. I'd, uh, I'd just started a role in a company called Datacom. Mm -hmm. um, and I, we nailed the, 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 the country's largest digital transformation for the largest medical health insurer. Yeah. And we were sort of working eight to 16 hour days across eight to 10 months. Mm. And um, it was full on. And what I used to do was I'd make sure that if people weren't going, because we push people to the edge. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'd make sure that people were, I'd call their families, their, their wives, their, their husbands and say, look, they're not going to be home tonight. And, you know, I, it just mm. was too much intensity. I was about to become a father. And um, all this was happening all at the same time. So became a father, landed this huge digital transformation deal that I thought was, was wonderful because being able to help this health insurer meant that your children, my children, and everybody in general could have better access to services. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if, if that could be the way, I thought, wow, I'm, you know. It's a great purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Always had to find a purpose in everything that I worked and lived for. So um, it was about, I don't know, a year after my son was born, about three months after this deal was landed, um, I got diagnosed with cancer. And so got diagnosed with cancer and very quickly came undone. Mm. It was, it, it went from my whole life controlling and orchestrating a community or people around me. Mm. And that's what I did really well. So being in service to others, a lot of outward attention. Yeah. But it was about control as well. Yes. Yeah. That was about control. That was about if I was in control of all of that, I found my place. Yeah. I didn't really know where the off switch was. I never knew what that off switch was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I that can came, relate to that. No, that came, yeah. I was just going to say, like having that circuit breaker. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't have. And then sometimes I had unhealthy, you know, things that I attached myself to that were just un unhealthy for me and, mm -hmm. and, me. and, and, and so this, you know, having cancer wow. brought me to a standstill. I went from, you know, being on my time, controlling everybody, always on go, go, go to I'm on hospital time. I'm on the medical professionals time. And that was, took me so far out of my comfort zone. You know, mm. I, um, that was, that was not having control was just massive. So I went through the process of denial, anger, and then acceptance. And then I got on with the treatment and I got on with the treatment and I was in, spent eight months, nine months in uh, chemotherapy and, and treatment. And then thank God I got into remission. Yeah. And when I came out of that, I was a different human being. I was a different person. I could sense the anxiety in what would normally be just a normal way of life. I was anxious about life. And so I sort of bumbled my way through just getting on with it because I wanted to provide for my family. And I thought mm. I could go back to the old way of being, you know, the old way of operating. But because of this treatment and because of what, what chemotherapy does to you and being threatened with, you know, your life, um, and being in that zone for quite a while, I, I, I yeah, my mental health suffered quite, quite a lot. So eight months later, nine, no, ten months later, I got re-diagnosed with, with cancer again, and this time wow. a lot worse. And I had to go in and spent quite a lengthy time in hospital. And during that time, I got blood poisoning and I went into delirium. Yeah. And during this delirium, um, I would be presenting to my uh, my my partner um, just some some horrible things, you know. I wouldn't. I, she it wasn't the person. I wasn't the person that mm -hmm. 
he'd got with. I wasn't the person that I knew. And it was the scariest thing in the whole world to be in this temporary delirium through this blood poisoning, through which attributed from the chemotherapy. And so they did a, so I got three months down the line. I was in hospital for months at a time going through these bouts of, of chemotherapy. And then I was going to have a stem cell transplant. And they, because of these um, delirium episodes, they did a brain scan on me. And uh, I was diagnosed with uh, um, um, non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And they, they turned around and said, look, uh, we found a brain tumor. Oh, gosh. Wow. So that was the day I was meant to have this. And I completely lost my mind again mm. and um, was like, what do I do? So we had to do this lymphoma stuff first before we moved on to the other stuff. And um, I did the stem, uh, stem cell transplant. And then about a month, two months later, the stress had got so much for my uh, my partner at the time, the, son, the mother of my son, and she left me. Wow. And I decided <laughs> to go not just only in, in Melbourne, but she decided to go back to her family back in Perth and relocate there. Mm. And so that was, that was really hard. And I thought to myself, at that point, um, I thought, I might as well commit suicide. I thought, you know, Gosh, yeah, you've been hit so many blows, like all at well, once in a short amount of time too. Yeah, well, the, the point is that I had, every time I got to some really dark places and the lights were about to go out during my treatment, the one thing I always held on to was my family. Yeah. And when that was taken away from me, that's what I thought. And I held on to that thought for about an hour and a half, two hours. And I thought to myself, if my son was ever to get into a challenging situation in his life and his father had mm. done that, he would he would have that. He would have made, well, my dad did it. I, I could do it. Yeah, so yeah. that up the table. And I decided from that moment onwards that I would play myself into self-help yeah so i found out that the stem cell transplant had worked and that was a success so i was in remission we decided with the brain tumor that we were, wasn't going to do anything with it we were just going to monitor it by mri it's too difficult yeah. to go in there with and i just played myself into seven days a week um self-help i did psychiatric work i did counseling work i did cancer cancer council, support work, I did spiritual work, you name it, I did yeah. it. I just focused on it. And I remember being, had, because um, I had nowhere to live when I came back, uh, when, I, when, when my partner had left, I had to sleep on my friend's floor, on his, on his blower mattress. Mm -hmm. And I, and we'd used a lot of money over that previous two years to keep my, you know, the family uh, above yeah. uh, and supported so i am um, all of a sudden worked through it and i got a place and just started to rebuild and then wow. i got back into work yeah then <clears throat> i was a different person but the work had given me another opportunity to do a different role that was more suited mm -hmm. to where i was at which was fantastic another senior role which was great yeah. and um i met a girl I was going and seeing my son once a month. Um, we were working out the whole co-parenting situation with my ex. Mm. 
and um, we were just going through it. And then, so about, I was going through some stuff and going deeper and deeper in all this work that I was doing about spirituality around uh, psychiatric stuff, psychology stuff, all that stuff and, and so much other stuff I was doing. I then started going into the hospitals and talking to people that were in wards and I was just mm. telling them about my experience. And then I started, I'd always been coaching Sarka and I've been coaching a group of lads for a while. Yeah. Then got on to coaching and mentoring young kids that were struggling in life. Mm. And so I was just, you know, using my experience, strength and hope to give Beautiful. them a, yeah. you know, that and what that was all about. And that was just really amazing for me. And that goes back to, you know, me being a kid and being yeah. brought up in that environment. So yeah. And that incredibly rewarding. And then all of a sudden, one day I'm at the South Melbourne market, I'm standing there and I have a stroke. Oh. It's March this year, uh, last year, and I go to... That March last year? Yeah. Wow. I go to, uh, I go to, go to the hospital and they treat me for a, a TIA, which is a stroke, you know, full facial, yeah. you can't talk the whole nine yards. And I come good after about four hours. It takes me about a week and a month later, neurologist comes back and says, look, um, I'm not quite sure here, but we're not sure what's going on. We don't think it's a stroke, but we're not sure what it is. Mm. So I had the, and two days later, I had a, another one of these episodes, got into the hospital and didn't treat me for a stroke this time. It settled down. But at the same time, they turned around and said, listen, you've got cancer again. The third time. We, we've, you know, we've done these scans and, and this is back. So I'm mm. like, wow, you know, wow. Gosh. Four weeks later, another four of the, another three more of these neurological episodes, yeah. um, all tests under the sun, you name it. I'm being looked mm. after by everybody. And they said, look, we don't know what's going on, but you don't have cancer. And we don't know what these neurological episodes are. Gosh. Yeah. Wow. At this point, and for the last 17 months, um, you know, since I had to, the hardest day in my life was saying goodbye to my son in a park. You can imagine. That was the hardest day in my life. But after that, as I said, I plied myself into self-help. Yeah. So I started praying. And I started then to build um, a relationship with a higher power that I call God. Yeah. And this is a kind and loving God. And through that process, and just right at this particular moment, I was able to look at something in my past. And this comes back to your topic of forgiveness. Yeah. And I looked at some dark parts of my childhood and I'd never really faced them before. And I'd never really looked at them before. And when I'd looked at them and, and thought, well, how do I overcome them? I often thought that uh, violence and anger and resentments were probably mm. the only way to deal with it. Which are all the opposite things of forgiveness. And in that moment and through the process of this, the work that I was doing on myself, I was introduced to forgiveness. Wow. And, um, you know, the only way through this was to forgive. And in order to forgive, I had to have an understanding that, um, you know, there was a, something that had, that had transpired here and, mm. and who this, who this, on this situation was, wasn't their fault. And yeah. I didn't 
to be blaming these people for that. I didn't need to be, I needed to take responsibility mm. for my own stuff now. And I needed yeah. to sort of look after myself. So in that process, mm. it wasn't about them. It was about me. That's and right. I realized that the reasons why I controlled everything in my life and why I did so well in business and why I did well in so many other things is because I controlled because I didn't want to be hurt. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And in that moment, I mm. knew I couldn't control this situation. And in that moment, um, yeah, I was introduced to this idea of forgiveness. And in that moment, I realized that what was keeping me sick or what was this thing that kept on happening? And this is my story. And this yeah. is just what happened to me is I was remaining sick because I still had this little bit of darkness in my body. Mm. And that completely correlated my thinking as in something in my body. Yeah. And in that moment, when I forgave this situation, I, I used forgiveness in that situation. It mm. was the only way I can describe it. And maybe some of the people listening on this podcast can, can relate or not, but it was like shining a light on space. Yeah, yeah. It was like there wasn't any darkness in my body whatsoever when I used this process of forgiveness. Now, it was funny because when you look at um, my dad's side being a Muslim, I've been close to Islam. And yeah. at the same time, I've been close to Christianity. I go to church oh, and I go yeah. to mosque. Yeah. And in both of their religions about what Jesus did and what Jesus died for and mm. faith and faith in something greater. And that is doing the right thing, forgiveness, compassion, love, and understanding. Yeah. I had that. And in that, I knew I was good. Wow. But two days later, they came back to me and said, listen, you've got cancer again. Oh. You've got cancer now. I knew in that moment I didn't have cancer. Mm. I just yeah. knew. I it's like an innate, innate feeling and it's intuition, isn't it, too? Like it's. I knew that I'd done enough work at that point to know that there wasn't any space for that in my body. Yeah. That yeah. was through forgiveness. That's, no. Zamil, I just, just want to say before you go on, firstly, thank you so much for sharing that story. And, and those the listeners out there, I did see Zamil speak in an event and he just was awe-inspiring and really, really touched just, just so many things I believe in and so many things that I just think needed to be shared with the world. So I want to say thank you for that because, you know, it's such... To, to know you and see you and you're such a, you vibrate at a very high level and almost glow and, and to have been through those things and flip them, like you said, and had that compassion and love and belief and lived above the line and taken ownership, that serves you to move forward. I just wanted to ask you, like for listeners out there, what does, what does forgiveness mean to you? If forgiveness what are the ingredients that make up forgiveness? And you covered compassion and love. What else is in there? I think the understanding that resentment of what resentment keeps you sick. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to understand the principle of forgiveness means that you're holding on to some sort of resentment. Yeah. So the core at the core of forgiveness, at the core of is understanding that. You know, there's something to forgive in the first place. So it's and the acknowledgement of knowing what that is and 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 owning it, and owning it. 
Well, it's a very, to some of the viewers that might be out there, there are very, some serious stuff that people have gone through. Yeah. And mentally, and this is why I like to help with mental health with people and give inspiration to, not inspiration, I like to mentor people around that. It's because mm -hmm. getting the right support to go through something like this, it's not an easy task. No. It's no mean feat. No. It, it requires courage, but it requires faith. And it requires understanding. And some people don't have faith. And if you don't have faith, if you don't have a framework in mm -hmm. which to be able to process something that you're willing to look at, you know, you're not given it or you're not, it's not presented until you're ready. Yes. So the forgiveness and what's the ingredients for that? Well, it depends on the situation. Mm. And then it depends on if it's something that's making you sick, if it's something that's holding you back, getting the right support around that and, the, and people to hold your hands, take you through that mm -hmm. and feel safe is very, very important. So whatever that is, that might be psychic, you know, professional service, mental health services. It might be spiritual. Um, mm -hmm. It might be a faith or a religion that, uh, that might be, be there that you, you know, can take you through the context of yeah. what that's about, of getting to that point. Yeah. And, um, it means that um, it's a process and it's what feels right for you as a human being to be able to take that next step. So the ingredients is the acknowledgement that something is a, as a resentment is holding you back. Yeah. The second part of it is getting help around it. And the first, the first, uh, my sister said this to me when I was young, when my mom and dad got divorced mm. and, um, uh, I went and was seeing some counsellors and, and I was quite young. My sister said to me, you, you may go to somebody and they may not resonate with you, but it doesn't mean that they're wrong or that process is wrong. They just may not be right for you. Yeah. So I did everything. I didn't do one thing. I did everything. <laughs> I, did, I did religion, the church. And as I said, I didn't have any, you know, there wasn't one good or bad because how can I fight myself in terms yeah. of that? religious or a faith-based but I didn't know how to connect with it I didn't know what to do with it yeah. I didn't know that yeah it was a lack of understanding I mean uh, one of the things that um <clears throat> that I got help around was Al-Anon and if any of your mm. viewers out there have been brought up or had an experience with uh, with alcoholism and stuff like that in their lives this is a great uh, it's a wonderful resource for people yeah. to go through have a look at that uh, so it's fine. It's finding what the right, like you said, the right thing is for you at that time. And I think um, the acknowledgement's a big part, and, and and what it's costing you not to like forgiveness for me is the release of resentment and anger, or anger. The last bit, which I'll lead up to, which is quite shocking mm -hmm. to most people, if I didn't put it into that context, I find is the gift of desperation. Tell me about that when you're trying to hold on for so long and your feelings and your thinking only get you into more trouble, yeah. more pain, and your own thinking has got you to this, which is being resentful, you know, being angry, you know, not being able to fulfill a, a life, you know, because mm. you're, you've got all of certain things holding you back. That's a gift of desperation. Sometimes people have to hit that rock bottom, bottom. to you know, be the catalyst to do something about it. Okay. And when you're at that point, that's the point when the teachers will come or the, the, the support networks will come. And if it's something more serious, there's still so many support networks out there yeah. 
yeah. some serious, you know, um, challenges that people may have had in yeah. their lives. My suggestion is the core ingredients there is if the gift of desperation is where, where you're at right now, then take that leap of faith because that's where courage comes in. And it's that courage to do something about it. And wherever that takes you, that's the beginning. I love it. And I think, too, that forgiveness doesn't, and I think it's important to note, forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation. You know, I think in, in today's society, a lot of people forgiving a situation or even a person that may have done wrong by us, it doesn't always mean you reconcile. But forgiving in yourself lets you release that, that poison, that resentment, so you can live your best life. That's one aspect, absolutely, Renee. Me, it was reconciling myself, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, it was internal. My yeah. relationship with my inner yeah. child or, you know, a faith in God. So yeah. it actually reconciled my faith within myself and yeah. therefore I could, I could have a different relationship with the world. Yeah, which, which you have and it, it served, you know, it's it, it served you well moving forward. And I think... Yeah, I like that around the gift of desperation. I think, yeah, sometimes it does take us, you know, I always say our why to change must exceed our why to stay the same. Mm. And I think you have to hit, you know, you have to hit rock bottom to know, have a compelling reason to want to come out of it. Why do you think forgiving, whether it's forgiving yourself or a person or a situation, is so challenging? Because a lot of people it is. I, I've been speaking to quite a few people about forgiveness. Why do you think, what do you think blocks us forgiving others or forgiving ourselves? I can only speak about my personal situation. Yeah. I, I can't speak on behalf of everybody else. But in my situation, I was only young. Mm. And I didn't know how. I, I'd, I'd buried it. So it was only when I was ready to deal with it and it came up and, and it goes back to the point of um, it just depends how much pain you want to get yourself in and how desperate you are and the gift of desperation, uh, as I talk about, mm -hmm. is a catalyst for change because when something is so unfathomable around a particular situation or trauma that somebody may have had, trying to revisit that mentally without, I call it like, it's like going into a neighborhood full of, you know, a bad neighborhood by yourself, mm. which is, I, you know, that's, that's my metaphor for your brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, guidance and you're trying to navigate yourself through that on your best thinking. Mm. It's just, you know, so you need the tools and you need to hold somebody's hand and you need to be guided Mm. through that process and, and, you know, the layers that then come up through that, um, when you're able to get support through it, that, that resonates with you, mm. so professional support, spiritual support, you know, whatever it is. Whatever it is for you, yeah. Or, yeah. or in most cases, sharing with somebody else that's had the same experience. I was just going to mention that with the work that you do, um, you know, there's there's credibility, especially in yet the younger generation. I think they, you know, if you've been through something, they've been through, and it's a real true mentor relationship because you're giving advice or you're giving not advice but more your outlook on something you've been before. I think been through before. I think that's that can really, really help. 
for our listeners out there, if, if, if anyone is struggling, you know, whether it's in a, in a work context, I say your work team or your home team or your community or yourself internally, you're struggling to, 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 you know, come to a place of forgiveness. What are three or four tips, Zamil, you could give people just overall that would help them step back and maybe create the space for the gift of forgiveness? Well, my learning from this whole period is my story is my story. It doesn't define who I am. No, no. Mental health cannot be measured in more or less. It just is. So somebody experiencing something that's going on in their head can be equal to me going through all the challenges that I've been through. That's right. You know, somebody's story is no different. You know, what I live by is, is being of service to others. Yeah. What that means today is that's not at the detri- to the detriment of me and it's not helping others. It's being of service to service. others. Yeah. Because helping feels like, you know, you're on some sort of other plane and whatever. And, you know, I believe that everybody's made in God's image and, um, you know, having a higher power that's loving, compassion and understanding is something I had to, to, to build. You know, it didn't come yeah. over because before that it was very damning. It wasn't very positive. So, so what came out of my, my, my experience was three things, is how to have the real conversation. First of all, what is the real conversation? And this is a real conversation. And the second thing is how to respond. The third thing, rather, what is the real conversation? How to have the real conversation and how to respond. And how to, how to respond is key because your point or your question how I can help other people is to listen. If you can truly be in a conversation with your friend, your work colleague, um, your family member, if you can truly just sit there and listen and not think in your head, what am I going to say to this person? How am I going to say it? I say in every conversation I'm having with somebody, God, please guide my words, my actions and my thoughts. Because by the end of it, to truly listen to somebody, most people go, why aren't you saying anything? And I say, because I'm truly listening. And people aren't used to that. We know in today's society, it's the most challenging and rarest skill, listening. Well, we're not dealing with trauma. And if you're talking about specifically to um, somebody that might be struggling mentally on this call, that might be listening to it, mm. and they're struggling with something that relates to the journey to get to forgiveness because forgiveness is right at the end yeah not at the beginning Mm. it's right at the end if you're lucky Mm. no if you come to that and I was just I just worked my ass up at getting there so it's about creating a safe space for somebody and that safe space is not providing a response sometimes to somebody it's to know that you're a safe person to talk to and being that, that, so my first advice is that listening aspect to truly listen to somebody allows somebody just to go, oh, I can talk to you again because even though you didn't say anything, you know. I, and there's I no judge, you defer judgment. Safe, safe. And safety, when you're dealing with some, you know, trauma, mm. is key to them having the next conversation. So if you happen to have somebody that shares with you something that you've experienced, that's how that's, that comes to your point around sharing my experience, strength and hope. Yeah. And that's where, where I can do mm. that part of it. 
So they're the two aspects I think I could share with people on this call is that to listen to truly just receive somebody is greater than anything you could possibly mm -hmm. say or do for them. Sorry, or do to do for them. Because, because most people don't do that these days. They feel like they're under pressure to have to change them, fix them. But in reality, mm -hmm. just to actually feel it in the first place leads towards, I don't feel too good about this. Yeah. And I would like to do something about it. And I don't know what to do. Mm. I love it's it. And it's true empathy, Zamil. Mm. It's true to me. It's true empathy. You know, sympathy is about caring. Empathy is about feeling in, leaning in. Creating that presence and you're right, that space mm. and the safe space and that whole psychological safety piece in and out of work is so important, but not expecting anything back. Yeah. and deferring judgment i think that's 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 key yeah. that's key and the last thing um, uh, if somebody is struggling and what would they do to be brave enough to want to do something about it to have that awareness around it is um is amazing and i commend you for just even looking at it and if you're looking at it there is something out there for you mm that can help you. And I don't know what that is, but for me, it was spiritual work, it was professional programs, it was mentorship, it was, I couldn't go to my family and talk about it because that was like being at the butchers looking for milk, you know? <laughs> you know constantly, I was constantly there. Hey, you got any milk? No, mate, you've been here before. So, um, no, it's about getting right support for you. Yeah, that's important. That's really important. It's not. It's not cookie cutter. You've got to get who and what works for you and resonates with you to to be open about it. And I think that's where you see a lot of problems in relationships. A lot of problems with kids and their relationships. Mm. And when I when I mentor these kids, you know, often the time is, you know, they often look to their parents for guides, and their parents are just doing the best that they can. Yeah. And they're not the people for them. So being able to point these people in the right direction. Mm structure and just you know oh gosh what would I say just be brave just just try and be brave reach out reach out for support connection um, connections big and see and see how you go I mean you're only going to go back to how you were that's the worst thing that can happen right so why not you know this oh, I could talk to you today like all day about about this I think Forgiveness is just such a thing that I think sometimes is um, underrated or people procrastinate, especially when forgiving others. You know, they well, sweep it under the rug and it amplifies and it blows up in a way it doesn't need to necessarily. Well, you know, the, the thing I think I'll leave you with, the last thing about forgiveness, um, the biggest thing that you come to around that last piece in forgiveness is forgiving yourself. Yeah. It's got to start with you, doesn't it? It doesn't matter where it starts or finish, but it has to come in there somewhere. Yeah. And, and getting to that point, because we're often masked with, you know, feeling, uh, you know, not good enough, you know, and blaming ourselves for not doing it sooner. Why can't I do this? And it often then comes yeah. out in other ways, other avenues. It could be addiction. It could be addiction of anything, you know, shopping, clothing, you know, drugs, alcohol. Yeah all sorts of unhealthy behaviours, you know, and mm. they're the sure signs. But um, there are just so many support networks out there, such as NA, AA, Al-Anon, 
and then all the support services that are wrapped around it. There's so many free services out there. There is, and your support network too, you know, the support you have in your life, in and out of work, at home, friends, family, you've just got to look for it, you know. And oftentimes you begin to isolate and the opposite to isolation is connection. Connection, that's right. And connection, as we know, is a human need. Zamil, it's been awesome talking about this. I've just got a few quick questions for you, just, just, just on the, in bringing this topic in as well. So, you know, we, we do a lot, as you know, we do a lot of work with, with leaders, teams and organisations, energising mindset to go to the next level and lift performance. And I think we all have leaders in our lives that we admire, whether they're famous or they're not, doesn't matter. Who's, who's a leader that you admire I guess, and what, there might be a few, but just give me one. And what traits and qualities do you admire about them? There's a lady called Alex Coates. She, um, I joined uh, the Datacom business and um, she was probably, she's probably one of the the best leaders I've ever, ever seen. Um, And the the, the traits that um, were there were empathy. Yeah. She was funny, um, and she was a uh, she. She was a, a woman of the people. Yeah, beautiful. She brought everybody together. She made sure everybody had a say. Mm. In that, she she created a vulnerable environment, mm. and in that vulnerable environment, people were able just to be themselves, and I was able to be me. Yeah. And she was able to sync that together and put that together mm. so, you know, with a broader organisation and manage stakeholders yeah. and just, just incubate that real um, yeah, culture that really was, was high performing. So, um, yeah, she was, she was pretty amazing. I love that. And what's interesting, and you'd probably know this, that a lot of the time the people we admire in our lives are a mirror of us. And those qualities and traits you just brought up is what I see in you mm-hmm. and what you do. Um, so that's, that's interesting. I, um, you know, I, limitless is a big, big word for me, as in a big word in my life. And, you know, to, have a, to be a limitless leader and to learn and unlearn and evolve takes lots of energy. What, I, what I'd love to ask you in what you do and in life, how do you keep yourself re-energised? What do you do for you? I've had to learn that the hard way. Mm. I've had to learn that through the process that I've come to, and I call it like Zamil 4.0. So Zamil 4.0 consists of um, putting myself first. I used to put my son first. I used to put my partner first. I used to put my family first. I put everybody else first. Mm. And that's what led me to unearthing this control, which then led to why do I control of not wanting to be hurt, to then going through the process of um, understanding where that came from and then the forgiveness aspect of that. And so I had to, I had to re-engineer putting myself first and be okay with that, not thinking that was selfish. Yes, that's so, right, because it's not easy uh, to do all the time. Well, if I don't, I get sick. Yeah. If I yeah. don't, I get mentally sick. I'm drained. I can't be present for the people I've just talked about. Everything I've said would be an absolute lie. That's right. And you might as well just don't listen to this and who is he? Yeah. I can't <laughs> my word and what I do. Mm. Everybody would be like, well, he doesn't do that. You yeah. know, he doesn't 
walk the walk and talk the talk. And yeah. I wouldn't have that in myself. No. So it, starts, it does start with me. And what I do is this. I have a program on a daily basis. I get it before sunrise and um, I go for a walk. But before I, my feet touch the ground, because my head gets so busy, you know, because my head just turns on straight away in the morning, yeah. I go through a series of things that I read. And it's based around prayer and it's about acceptance. It's about guidance for the day. It's around this. It's, a, it's, it's just about a lot of things, but yeah. it's all around how I'm setting myself up for the day. Yeah. Really, it's my conscious contact with my higher power that I call God yeah. in my own way, my own understanding of it, you know, but mm. it's compassion, love and, and understanding and not critical and damning and, oh God, I've got to do all of this yeah. stuff. So I stop, I, I try and give myself a circuit breaker that then is followed by a short meditation. Beautiful. And then yeah. from that, I um, go on a walk. Uh, and I go on a walk and I watch the sunrise. And I pretty much do that. That's my start. And then what I do is um, I try to be mindful through my day by making sure that I have mental health breaks. And mm -hmm. in that health break I'll have half an hour to myself and I'll have three minute meditations mm -hmm. so I do a three minute meditation which um, is a Deepak Chopra yeah. you can get online three minutes that just goes through resetting to this moment about being present and trying to bring myself to the present because yeah. I learned about two or three years ago there was this beautiful um, poem and it was um an old, old uh, philosopher. And he talked about the unhappy mind and he talked about the unhappy man. And the unhappy man is the one who is never present to himself, who mm -hmm. feels like the contentment of his life resides somewhere outside of himself. Wow. The happy man is the man who is present to himself. Mm -hmm. And I realized I was not. I realized he didn't know how to do that. And mm -hmm. I realized that I was, that was, so I, try to be present to myself and be present in the moment. And when I'm trying to change how I feel to be something else, I know something's going wrong. And I remind myself mm. that I don't need to change how I am right now. No. Way I can feel. And guess what? It's an emotion. So I can actually sense what that emotion is at that time and allow myself to be that, but not sit in it. No stand and be be aware of, of where that awareness comes. yeah yeah because i'm dealing with so many people across so many different time zones yeah. and customers and internal people mm. and have a lot going on in order for me to be centered i need to have that practice and be yeah. have that awareness so eating well um and eating well uh, the nutrition part of it the exercise part of it the mindful side of things having a structure to that at the end of the day i go for a walk and watch the sun go down Beautiful. So, so you see the sunrise and you see the sunset i love it and i think and i know you do have some real it's discipline and it's building habits around these things too that's the a big forming part of, of it. habit the forming yeah. of that habit means that how i can keep myself uh, where mm. i need to be yeah. is i might overeat one day i might not want to get up one day i might have a, a you know just a, a feeling that's not you know at its optimal yeah. but i know if i'm not too far away from where i left off it's far mm. easier 
easier to to get back into that rhythm and to be yeah. okay and, and to have building that. a cadence, isn't it? And 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 being disciplined. I love I love that. I love what you do. It's... And it doesn't need to be that. I think it's it's a misconception that you need to be happy all the time. I think it's about being. Yes, it's actually about being. Um, just being and accepting the fact that yeah. not putting a label on something being good or bad, uh, but being but being is. So at the end of my day, I do an inventory and I ask myself in this inventory, have I been resentful? Mm. Have I been afraid today? Yeah, yeah. Okay, have I been dishonest today? Have I kept something to myself today? Have I... Um, thoughts about others in the stream of life have i been kind and loving do i owe an apology that mm. way i don't need to carry something yeah. in the, the next day i can I love, you've got to get it out i i so agree i, I do intentions i finished with my intentions i'm not carrying anything mm. but i start my new day afresh so every yeah. day just keeping it that and i share that with other people yeah. the last thing which is really really important i reach out to others that are um, uh, not doing well or I might be thinking of them. Mm. And I'll reach out to them and ask them how they are. So if I'm troubled in the day, I'm full of self-obsession and it's all about me, 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 and I'm getting into that mindset, I'll call somebody else and I'll say, how are you? Yeah. And I will not tell them how I am. I won't show them how I am. I'll ask them genuinely what's mm. going on for them. Yeah. So helping others gets me out of myself. Yeah. And that goes back to that being in service to others, you know, yeah. and that whole piece, which I agree with too. I think that's my, so important. My last thing, my, my absolute light of my life and everything that I, I hate to say, but not hate to say, I don't know which other way to put it, uh, I live for, uh, is my son. Yeah. You know, is my boy. And um he is just everything. He was the one that has inspired me to change mm. in so many things. He was the catalyst for it. He yeah. was the catalyst around me, you know, about the committing suicide. He was the catalyst yeah. about um, changing my life when he was born, you know. So he has been an amazing teacher to me, an inspiration. Oh, that's so beautiful. He's, he's your why. He's that's a, right. Your, your why to fly, I say. Yeah, that's he's exactly right. So, oh. Ayrton Perry, if you're ever listening to this, I love you. And you've oh, I just got goosebumps in. That's so beautiful. So, Neil, just before we finish up, quick trivia, really quickly. Favourite word? Love. Love. Beautiful. And we are love. Love is all, love, love is everywhere, I think. And it's, I have a bit of a saying, Zamil, what would love do? If I ever get stuck on something or you feel even a bit you're stuck in traffic, I think what would love do and it wouldn't do what I was doing right at that moment and it flips your thoughts. What's your favourite sound or noise? Look, I love music. I mean, music uh, has been with me. I get affected by sound. But mm. what's my favourite sound or noise particularly? Oh, um, if you're talking about just a specific sound, I love a good bass line. Yep, cool. I love a really good bass line. Yeah, I'm loving this. What's your favourite food, favourite dish, favourite meal? Oh, my God. I'm a cook and my mum and dad were both cooks and I had everything. Okay, favourite meal. Oh, my God. I'd, hard, have isn't it? Say, I'd have to say, I'd have to say curry. Oh, same with me. What sort of curry? An Indian, well, a, a, a home-cooked curry. Curry. Yeah, what protein? Or veggie or meat or fish or? Oh, it'd have to be a 
toss between the two. If I have to go for one, uh, chicken curry. Chicken curry. I made one last week. Love curry. Good. And last question. What profession other than your own would you do if you had your time again? Soccer coach. Soccer coach. You've done a bit of that though, but you mean like as a full-blown? Yeah, professional soccer coach. Love it. Love it. I have absolutely loved our chat um, and I'm sure those listening out there would have gleaned so many little gems out of that and, and I really want to thank you, Zamil, for being so just so raw and real and honest and sharing your story and the things that have helped you get through. I think, you know, I always believe sharing our lessons can be someone else's survival guide. So I want to say thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share that. So what a fantastic conversation with Zamil today. And I'm, I'm sure you would have gleaned a lot of values around the gift of forgiveness. We've got some other podcasts that link beautifully into the gift mindset and the other gifts. And if you've missed them, jump on your favorite platforms. We've got Kate Stewart discussing the stay tray. And in a few weeks time, we'll have Victor Purton talking about the gift of optimism. For those of you looking to really understand the gift mindset and unwrap a gift mindset culture on the 25th of May from 1 till 2.15 p.m., I'll be running a live workshop on this. Please check our events page at reneegerusso.com and you'll see all of these upcoming events and public programs that we'd love to see you at. As always, wherever you're listening from, have an amazing day or night and take care. You've been listening to Limitless Leaders Podcast, leading from the inside out to develop limitless self-leadership, leaders, teams, and organizations. To find out how you can accelerate your mindset, your communication, collaboration, and connection to become a limitless leader, sign up for our Limitless Leaders Podcast series at www.renegerusso.com forward slash podcast series. That's renegerusso.com forward slash podcast series. 